Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, good morning, fellow listeners. I'm excited to be with you today, and uh, it's kind of Richard flying solo today, and I'll tell you where Linda is. She is down in Arizona with our four daughters. Once a year, they love to get away and just have what they call the mothers and future mothers of our realm. Quite an auspicious name. And so they're down there today, and I just talked to Linda on the phone, and she's with those four daughters, and they're having a, a lovely brunch. And I think we'll bring her onto the show toward the end of this first segment and have her and our four daughters say hello to you. They always have a lot of fun when they get together. And what I think is great is they talk about parenting. They talk about the grandkids, Linda's grandkids, our grandkids, and the moms have ideas and Linda has ideas and it turns into a lot of fun. But before we get to that, um, we're going to talk about kind of a serious subject a little bit today. I appreciate you who listen every week. We run into more and more of you who do listen. We were in California just yesterday and two people came up who I'd never met before and said, I feel like I know you. We listen to Ayers on the Road every week. We always listen on Saturday, he said. And I thought, how great that is. Then he said another thing that I wanted to pass on. He said, I really appreciate the BYURadio.org website. He said, I go on there at the first of the week, and I, I see the schedule, and I make a note of the shows I want to listen to. And if I'm available, I tune in. If I'm in my car, I can listen on Sirius. If I'm at home, I can listen on my computer. And he said, I've decided that BYU Radio is the way to stay in touch with the things that really matter. So I thought I'd pass that on to you and to BYU Radio itself. And appreciation to our producer, Benjamin, who's always on top of things and who always has our show posted before we actually do it. So those of you who may have looked at the schedule today know that we're going to talk a little about an interesting subject, uh, a depressing subject in some ways, but one that we need to be more aware of as parents and as people who love the, the family. And it's the subject of cohabitation, defined simply as couples who decide that they do want to live together, but that there's no need for marriage. Or as, as we often hear from people, I don't need a piece of paper to show that I'm in love. I can just move in and we can live together and we can have a family. And we certainly don't need anything as formal as a marriage. We hear that more and more often in the world. And it's so dis disturbing on so many levels. I'm going to try to explain some of those to you, but before we do, let's look at the broader background, sort of the societal directions that we're going in with regard to families. And what I hope to do by the end of the show is to convince you, if you're not already convinced, that at the very heart of the decline of families is this growing practice of cohabitation instead of marriage. But think about the broader picture for just a minute. We've, we've reached a tipping point. We've reached several tipping points in this country in terms of families. And 
they're very worrisome, and we we just can't have our heads in the sand. We have to think about these things and see what we can each do about them personally. And let me give you some tipping points. What I mean by that is is areas where uh, natural family people, usually of faith, have been used to being the majority, and even though there is certain segments of society doing different things, we've kind of become used to the idea of thinking, well, the majority of us still value families, still want families, still have families, still live a family-oriented lifestyle. But we're reaching some tipping points that may suggest we're no longer even in the majority. Let me just give you a few of those. We're basically at a point for the first time in the history of the United States when there are more U.S. adults who are single than who are married. In 2011, for the very first time, fewer than 50% of U.S. households were made up of, of married couples. And only one quarter of 20 to 29-year-olds were married, compared with over 70% of, of people in that age group who were married in 1960. Now, I don't want to bore you with statistics, but keep in mind, these are just places where the balance has shifted, where we're now in the minority as married families rather than, the, than in the majority. Here's another one. In several Western countries, nearly as many children are now born out of wedlock as in. Many European countries the vast majority of children are born out of wedlock rather than in. And in this country, we're right on the edge of 50%. Another one, more U.S. marriages now end in divorce than stay together, although that's a bit of a skewed statistic because a lot of first marriages last, up to 70% do, but there are so many second and third marriages ending in divorce that often are divorce total for a year in the U.S. is half as high as the total number who were married. Let's move to a few others. In many major world cities, there are now more households that are occupied by one single individual than households inhabited by any kind of family. People more and more are moving toward just living alone. In fact, in Stockholm, Sweden, I'm interested in this because I'm, my ancestry is Swedish, 60% um, of the legal residences in Sweden are occupied just by a single individual. So you can see that some of these tipping points are really becoming pronounced. They're becoming very, very worrisome. A couple more just to give you an idea, and then we'll get to what I think is the crux of a lot of this. Um, more than half of Hispanic children in the United States are now raised without a father. Uh, and, and among African-Americans, it's much worse. Seven in ten African-American kids today are being raised without a dad. And a high percentage of those don't even know who their father is. Um, women now constitute more than half of the American workforce. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but... If you take it in the aggregate, it means many, many less mothers are home with their children during the formative years when those children need them. And here, here's one last one. And this is shocking to many people. In 2014, for the first time, 
more than one half of the nations on this planet had birth rates that were below the replacement rate of 2.1 children per woman. Think about that for a minute. To have to maintain a steady population without any growth or decline, the birth rate has to be 2.1 births per woman. And in 2014, for the first time, more than half of the countries on the planet had a birth rate below that level. I'll give you the exact numbers, 116 countries out of the Earth's 224 total recognized sovereign states now are in a negative population growth situation, which means that there won't be enough people to, to man the workforce. We're, many of us are so used to living in a world where everyone's worried about overpopulation. And indeed, there are still parts of the world where that's a big worry, particularly Africa, where the birth rate's very high in some countries, as many as six births per woman. But in Western countries, in Europe and in Asia and in the United States, we are either at or below the replacement level. And the reason, of course, is because people are choosing not to get married and not to have children. They'd rather live their own kind of life, their own life full of options and full of opportunities and not be tied down by any obligation to a marriage partner or as a father or as a mother. Now, that sounds pretty depressing, what I'm saying, and I don't mean to only portray the negative because, of course, the, uh, the, the other thing that polls show is that the, uh, the vast majority of Americans would like to be married. They would like to have a family. They would like to have children, but they're not doing it in many cases, partly because there's been this interesting paradigm creeping in where many young people, millennials, particularly the millennial generation is those between 18 and 30, roughly. And we're seeing a lot of data now on, on young people who basically think marriage is a luxury. They don't think they can afford it. They don't think they can afford to have a child because they read so many reports on how much weddings cost, how much children cost, and they don't understand that there's ways to, to really simplify that. But, but I think, and I'm going to get into this in the second half, to, half of the show after we say hi to Linda down in Arizona with our daughters, we're going to get into why I think maybe cohabitation is the very epicenter, the very core of what is going wrong with families and with commitment in this country. And, and we're going to talk a little about how many, many people it affects. So, but before we do that, I think um, our good producer, Ben, is trying to reach Linda. Let me tell you a little more about where she is. And then when you get her on the phone, Ben, just bring her right onto the air. Hey, but, I'm on the phone. Can you hear me? Oh, there she is. There she is. Yeah. There's Linda. And Linda, I gave a brief idea of what you're doing, but... Tell a little more about why you're in Arizona and introduce those four remarkable people that you're with. Well, we are with our daughters here. We are having such an awesome time in Arizona. It's 80 degrees, and we have a daughter here from Boston who just left 30 below zero wind chill factor. She's so happy to be here, and we're having so much fun. I have to say, 
that our daughters-in-law are either in Paris or Hawaii, so they're doing all right, too. So once a year we have everybody, but once a year we just have our darling girls. So I'll just put each one of them on. Um, our oldest to youngest, I guess, Sharon's going to say hi. And uh, we're, we're going to break soon, so here we go. Hi, this is Sharon, and I'm really excited to be here with my sisters. And I'm from Ogden. Um, so uh, here's Shoni. We're just kind of laughing here because we're not really sure what we're supposed to be saying, but I am Shawnee. I'm the second of the Iyer daughters, and um, and man alive, I live in Arizona, and I love it here, and I'm so thankful I'm sharing it with my kid, my kids, my kids for sure, but my sisters too, and my mom. So glad to be here. We stayed up all night laughing and talking last night, and we're just loving it. I'm Sadie. I'm the one who's from Boston, and I am so excited to see this warm weather. I don't know if anyone listening is in Boston. <laughs> Yeah. But it's crazy there. There's just so much snow, so it's nice to see things that are not snowbanks. Anyway, here's Charity. Hi, I'm Charity, and I'm the youngest daughter and the youngest child. And I love being able to get together with my sisters because they're all a bit ahead of me in life and awesome. But they get to give me lots of good advice. Uh, I'm recently married, so I get to get lots of good advice about marriage and family from these girls and especially of course our awesome mom yes she knows everything <laughs> well no she hasn't i'm learning a, a, a whole lot so i know we're we're ready to go to break but i do want to say how fun it is to be here and i'm so glad that none of us are cohabitating <laughs> well <laughs> i just want to say i wish i was there life. with you you great daughters and you wonderful <laughs> wife but i'll carry on without you until you get back linda in a couple of days so we're going to okay. take a little break and then we'll come back to the depressing but something we need to know about subject of cohabitation Iyer's on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Or at least here's Richard Iyer and uh, Linda, you just heard from, she's having a marvelous time. I think that this is one thing, uh, we're certainly not unique to our family. We know many grandmothers and grandfathers who try to spend a little time each year with just their sons in the case of the grandfathers and their daughters in the case of the grandmothers and talk a little about families and about parenting and about how can we help each other, how can we learn from each other, how can we be the best moms and dads we can be in this difficult world we live in. So juxtaposition that now against this problem we're talking about today and let me introduce it to you in a little different way. Many, many people we know have similar concerns about gay marriage and about the changing family structure. And of course, we read about it every day, and it's a big debate, and it's a big conundrum in America and throughout the world. People have very strong feelings on both sides. But let me make a point. Even, uh, you know, estimates that you read range between 2 and 4% of the population is homosexual or gay, and 
And that becomes a big issue for that segment of the population and for those of us who observe. But let me suggest an interesting, uh, another fact that, that may be impressive by the sheer size of its numbers. While, while the gay marriage debate may directly affect 2 to 4%, the question of whether you cohabitate or marry as a straight couple involves 90%, 95% of, of people. And last year in America, the estimates are that for every heterosexual couple that got married, there were four couples who moved in together in a cohabitation setting. In other words, they moved in together without being married on the thought in most cases that they would try it out for a little while and decide if it was going to work and then maybe get married later on. And intuitively, that sounds like a prudent way to do it. And a lot of people base that decision based on what they think is prudent and conservative and careful. I've had young people tell me, in fact, it's becoming almost a common cliche. People will say, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy a car unless you'd tried it out. So that's the same way with marriage. We're going to try living together for a while. We're going to see if we're sexually compatible and if we're emotionally compatible. And if it works out okay in a couple of years, then we'll probably get married. Now, again, we're talking about large numbers here. We're talking about four or five couples who move in now every year in the United States together for every one that moves in to get her married. So that's a high number. That's a majority of our population, a majority of the millennial generation. So uh, let's think about it for a minute. Because cohabitation without marriage produces disastrous statistical results. Cohabiting relationships tend to be fragile and relatively short in duration. Think about some of these numbers. Less than half of cohabiting relationships last five or more years. And the divorce rates of women who cohabit are nearly 80% higher than those who do not. And for low income and low education groups, cohabiting unions are less likely to end in marriage than in dissolution. So, so what that's saying is if you're uh, a person who says, well, this is a good, prudent idea, we're going to try it out for a while, you have a greater chance of splitting up or being divorced by a significant margin than you do uh, of staying together. And in fact, you have a higher chance of moving out without ever getting married than of actually getting to the point of marriage. Now, people say, why? Why, do, why does that work out so poorly statistically? And the answer is so simple that we sometimes just overlook it. The answer is that what it takes to stay together as a couple is the commitment of marriage. And people who are trying out living together on a trial basis by cohabitating don't have that commitment. They're in fact saying, I'm going to try it out for a while, and if it works, I'm going to make a commitment. What they don't understand is that what would make it work is to have the commitment before they actually move in together. So the absence, of, you know, it's the placing of the commitment. The commitment needs to come at the beginning of the shared home and shared domicile, not 
after an experimentation period. Think about this. The major problem with cohabitation is that it is a, is a tentative arrangement. It lacks stability. No one can absolutely depend on the relationship, not the community, not the society. And yet in Europe, now let's get down to some of the most extreme numbers. In Europe, 8 in 10 people on surveys say they approve of unmarried cohabitation. And in Scandinavia, that is Denmark, Sweden, and Norway, 82% of firstborn children are born outside of marriage. 82% of children are born into a cohabiting relationship. Now, maybe those parents get married and become wonderful parents and wonderful marriage partners. But statistics show that a smaller and smaller percent of them ever do get married. So the child is left without a, a committed family that he knows he can rely on. So you can see why, you know, I, I hate to oversimplify things, but what it comes down to is that without the commitment being there, there is just too many opportunities to walk away. I mean, anyone who's married can look back and think of tough times, times when there were disagreements, times when there were arguments, times when there were fundamental um, divisions between you and your spouse. And you have to ask yourself, if I had not been married, if I hadn't made this commitment, if I hadn't made the vows of sickness and health and good times and bad, would I have stuck with it? Or would I have been tempted to say, well, we tried it, didn't work, let's move on. That's what so many young couples are saying today because they're caught up in this cohabitation. They've got it exactly backwards. I was talking to um, some renters of ours. We rented one of our little houses to a couple and and we were out of town when we rented it, and we'd never even met them. And when I got back, I got chatting with them and found they weren't married. And I said, well, uh, are you planning? They just moved in together. I said, do you, do you plan to get married? And, and the guy said, yeah, well, we don't know. We're going to try it for four or five years and see if it works out. And then he made a, a shocking comment. He said, you know, I know in this area there are a lot of really risk marriages, I said, wait, what do you mean risk? He said, well, you know, where people just get married and move, move in together as a married couple and they've never lived together before. They don't, they don't have any clue whether it's going to work out. He said, I call those risk marriages. Well, I happened to have the statistics and he was a nice kid. So I said, let me just explain a couple things to you. Um, if you move in together before you're married your chances of staying together are cut in half compared to those who get married before they move in together. And we talked about it for a while, and I showed him the numbers. And he said, you know, that's so counterintuitive. You would think it would work out better if you tried it out first. And so we got talking about this very thing that I'm talking to you about today, the need for commitment. I'm not saying you, you run off and get married immediately, but if you go through a courtship, there's another word that's starting to sound old-fashioned in our society. You go through a courtship and a dating period, and then you decide to get married. Then you move in together as a married couple. Remember the old nursery rhyme? First comes love, then, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. 
the, the millennial generation, sad to say, has that a little backwards. Sometimes the baby comes first. Sometimes we hope love will come later. And sometimes we think we'll get to, to marriage eventually. It's a dangerous, dangerous trend. And as I started out at the beginning, it, it's a bigger, if you measure it in terms of the number of people it's affecting, men, women, and children, it's a vastly larger area of concern than gay marriage or uh, areas that, affect, that are very intense and very important, but that affect a small percentage of the population. Cohabitation in America, in the West today, in our world, affects a majority of people, and particularly those who are getting to the age where they want to start thinking about having families. So it's something we really need to do something about. Now, I'm curious because we, we've gotten to really enjoy and appreciate our producer, Benjamin, and Benjamin's been listening in, and Benjamin is a member of this millennial generation that we're talking about, and I'm sure he sees all around him people who are lacking the courage and the commitment to start off their living together with something as formal as a marriage, although in the society Ben moves in, he probably sees less of it than he would if he lived in New York City or in Los Angeles. But Ben, come on for the last part of the show and give us any reactions you have and any questions or thoughts that you might want to pose. All right, Richard, I really appreciate a lot of what you said because I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head that there's a lot of um, anxiety and fear, I think, of people in my generation. of You don't want it to end in divorce. And so how do you know if you're compatible with the person? How do you know if you have the right chemistry? A lot of people, I think... Um, believe that cohabitation is the solution. You kind of do like a trial marriage, I guess, and then and then move on to that. And I just wanted to ask you a quick question, Richard, um, regarding kind of this chemistry. I mean, you know, I, I live with roommates as I'm a college student, and you know, I have friends, and I want to move in with them and hang out. But once you move in with them, you start to learn things about their hygiene habits or uh, personal <laughs> exactly. life, and. And, and, you know, I, I think that's part of this kind of fear. And, and what would you say to someone who's thinking about getting married but maybe is worried about, do we really have this this chemistry, this physical, this emotional, maybe not emotional, but kind of like uh, the home life chemistry? Would we be able to make it um, together? Because there's only so much you can learn when you're dating. What would you say to someone who had that fear? That's actually a, it's a great summary of what we've talked about and a terrific question. And it's also... One we can all relate to. I certainly had some roommates in college I wouldn't have wanted to live with the rest of my life. <laughs> and I had to do with some pretty extreme habits involving hygiene and other things. So I'm going to go back, and this is a good way to end the show. The way you discover your compatibility and your chemistry and your the depth of your love for each other ought to be in a process called a courtship. And, and, and an engagement period. But the engagement and the courtship, this wonderful time of getting to know each other and talking about everything under the sun, happens best before moving in together. It happens best during this wonderful time when we're exploring and learning all about each other, leading up to this commitment of marriage, so that then when we move in and when we first have intimacy physically we are already committed and we've made the promise that that's going to last either 
till death do us part or in the case of eternal marriages for time and all eternity. And it's that commitment that'll get us through the tough times. And that's the advantage we have over anyone who starts out their living together relationship in a process of cohabitation. So thanks for that comment, Ben. We're gonna bring you in more often on shows because you're such an articulate young man. We appreciate all you do. We appreciate all of our audience. And we'll see you next week on Ayers on the Road.